0: Hey, let's give uh, let's give all the fathers a round of applause hey thank you guys for running to walmart at midnight i right, appreciate that for cutting the grass this week when it was hundred and some degrees for feeding your wife ice chips during labor and for handling all toilet related problems at home i don't understand i think my wife snuck in our wedding vows somewhere at the bottom and said handles all toilet issues. And I'm okay with that. I'm all right. Look, it's great to be here tonight. Happy Father's Day. If you were here last month, you had the opportunity to hear Vanessa speak on Mother's Day. you truly blessed. She spoke at of second Timothy and she encouraged the moms to overcome fear, right? By embracing God's spirit of love, power, and a sound mind. And what I really enjoyed about her message was that though it was focused on mothers, there was something in there for everyone, right? I mean, what guy hasn't struggled with fear one time or another in his life? So in the same way, I hope, although this message tonight is focused primarily on men and fathers in particular, that I believe there's going to be something in there for everyone. But I want to start by saying this. I recognize that any message on fathering can be Very weighty, right? And it can cause a range of reactions. Anywhere from, wow, those were great times. To, can we talk about something else? And that's just the reality of our situation. So as I discuss fatherhood tonight, I hope to accomplish three things. First, I hope to celebrate the men who've loved us well. Right? And, and to recognize the men who are here tonight who continue to make selfless and sacrificial decisions to love those under their care. Can we give them a round of applause? We celebrate them. Secondly, I hope to prepare us tonight by providing some insight from the Word of God that I believe is going to inspire us to be better fathers and better men. And then lastly, I want to leave some room for the Holy Spirit to move in such a way that he restores us by ministering to some of the difficult memories that many people are still carrying with them today. Because you know, anytime you're gonna deal with an issue as weighty as fathering, you're gonna need all three approaches. You're gonna need celebration, you're gonna need preparation, and you're gonna need restoration, right? Because all of us, all of us have been affected in one way or another, by a father or a father figure in our life. And I thought about that when I was preparing this message. I thought about Pastor Fred. Pastor Fred's dad recently passed away. And for a month after his passing, Pastor Fred, every time he preached, he wore the same cross that his dad wore when he preached. And though I didn't know his dad, I'm sure that those who did would say that they see him every day in the way Pastor Fred loves his family and lives his life. I thought about a friend of mine and a member of this church named Chad Morgan. See, Chad's dad died when Chad was 19. And Chad speaks often of his dad's quiet strength. And though I didn't know him either, I'm certain that I see aspects of his dad in the way Chad acts or his mannerisms. I thought about a relative of mine who she didn't know her dad. And so in her early thirties, she went out and she found him and she sent him a letter and she said, Hey, this is who I am. I just like to meet you. And he sent her back a letter and said, don't ever contact me again. I have a family. Get on with your life. Now I didn't know him either. But I'm certain that I see his influence, or in this case, lack of influence, in her life as well. I even thought of my son-in-law, who has two kids of his own. And I watch him trying to balance a a marriage and a new job and house repairs and, 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 and car repairs and everything that comes with being called dad. And lastly, I thought of me. I've spoken a couple times here at City Life. I've done some men's retreats, some life groups and all that. And and I'm going to be vulnerable with you here. And I'm going to tell you, this was the hardest message I've ever had to do. I have like four different copies at home and finally settled on this one. See, because my parents divorced when I was seven. My dad was a very abusive alcoholic. And mom finally had enough and left with me in tow. She would remarry the same year. And I was raised by a stepfather. Ten years later at 17, mom would sit me down and tell me that the man that I thought was my father is not my father. So going into my adult life, I had three father images. One, I never met. I didn't know him. Another, I knew only slightly and I was afraid of. And the third one who kind of made it up as he went along. So what's my point? What does all this mean? It means that the men in my life and the men in your life leave an indelible imprint on us. And maybe in some ways it's really recognizable and it's very noticeable, say, in the values and the principles that you base your life upon. Or maybe it's in the way you respond to stress. Or maybe it's in more subtle ways, say, in the way you iron your clothes or, in my case, pack a car. And while it's important for us to grasp the truth of where we come from, it's more important that we have clarity and vision on where we're going. Because ultimately, you and I as men and as fathers, we're going to hand off our life. Not so much what we've said, but the choices we've made and the passions we've pursued to those coming after us. And that's why when I hear people say that, hey, pace yourself, life isn't a sprint, it's a marathon, I, I disagree slightly. And that I don't see it as a marathon, I see it as a relay race. I see it as a relay race. A relay race that when we're born, we reach back with an open hand. And a baton is put in our hand, and we have no say about it. We didn't build it. We, don't, we had no say on how it was managed, whether it was cared for or neglected. But we grab it, and we begin our race. We begin our race. And while our starting line and our finish line, they look they look exactly the same. The starting line begins with that first breath. And it ends with you breaking the tape at your last breath but everything between those two breaths significantly define and describe the life that you're going to hand off to those coming after you so my question for the men have you thought about it have you thought about what you're going to hand off because if you haven't you need to You need to because while we all model aspects of our parents, various attributes, I believe, I would say that I know that there's a deeper image within us and it's of our heavenly father. And he said, before I shaped you in the womb, I knew about you before you saw the light of day, I had holy plans for you. And his plans, men, fathers, is that you would hand off a baton better than the one you were handed. One that contains more of his characteristics and less of yours. See, John the Baptist had it right when he said in John 3.30 that he must increase. Jesus must increase, and I must decrease. So in our short time tonight, I want to share with you, how do we do that? What does that look like? How do we hand off a life and a legacy that, that, that builds upon or exceeds the one we were handed? And we're going to take our guidance tonight from the same book of the Bible that Vanessa did. See, where Vanessa spoke from 2 Timothy chapter 1, we're going to slide slightly to the right to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. So if you've got your Bible, I hope you do, or your phone, please go to 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 6 through 8. See, I love these scriptures. Because they further illustrate that fathering is not only for biological dads, but for any man Who's willing to invest his life through service, through selflessness, through sacrifice into other people through mentoring, through teaching, and through discipleship. Let's look at what Paul, this is Paul, his last letter in prison, knowing he's not getting out this time. Knowing this could be the end. So he pens a letter to his protege that says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. He said, I fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I've remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. While there are many lessons in this paragraph of Scripture, I only want to cover three. Three lessons, three truths, if you will, that I believe the Apostle Paul wrote then in prison and gives us today. What did he say? How do you do this? Here he goes. he, He knows he's about to die. He writes this letter and he says, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race and I have remained faithful. How do you build upon the investments of those before you? How do you continue to build in such a way that those coming after you can climb even higher? One of the things I love about city life is you'll hear that we'll say, you know what, we tether ourselves to the next generation and we're unapologetic about it. We understand that collectively. I want to challenge you individually. How are you doing it? How do you do it? Even for some, how do you change the course of family dysfunction and begin to create new paths of righteousness in your life? How do you do that? You fight. You finish. And you're faithful. We're going to look at them one at a time. What's the first thing Paul said? He said, I have fought the good fight. Clearly familiar with battle. Paul doesn't hide the fact, folks, that this is not going to be easy. Second Corinthians 11 tells us what that he was beaten, put in prison, stoned, left for dead. The list goes on, right? And you have a list too, don't you? Don't you? It's different than Paul's, I hope so. But you have one, don't you? And it may say marriage problems, relationship issues, financial struggles, overlooked at work, misunderstood at home, insecurities, temptations. You have a list too. But here's the thing, gentlemen. Your list was never meant to discourage you or deter you. It was meant to drive you. I'm going to share a quote that I've used couple times at men's group. So some of the guys who, when I begin, they're going to know it. It's from a Greek philosopher from Ephesus by the name of Heraclitus. And in 500 B.C., this is what he said. He said of every hundred men in battle, ten shouldn't even be there. Eighty, nothing but sheep. Nine, nine are the real fighters. And we're lucky to have them because they make the battle. All but the one. One is a warrior, and he brings the others home. Gentlemen, as fathers, as men, you, your responsibility is to be a warrior. It's to be a warrior. And whether you want to believe it or not, whether when you're getting ready in the morning and you're looking in the mirror and you don't see it and you struggle with believing it, you have been created in the image of the ultimate warrior. His name is Jesus Christ, and it is your mission to bring the others home. You bring them home. And how do you do that? You fight the good fight. Let me let me highlight something real quick in that verse. You see, Paul said, I have fought the what? The good fight. Men are involved in a lot of battles, a lot of fights, on a lot of different hills, but a lot of them are the wrong ones. You're fighting the wrong fights. This word good in the Greek is the word kolos. Kolos. And kolos means excellent in nature and well adapted to its ends. In short, what it is, is acting with integrity with a goal in mind and the key to fighting the good fight the key to coloss is serving something greater than yourself serving something greater than yourself that's why as men when we when we see these heroic movies. It brings something to life in us. When we see Gladiator, we see Maximus fighting for Rome and Marcus Aurelius. We see William Wallace and Braveheart fighting for Scotland in our own history. We have Martin Luther King Jr. fighting for equality for everyone. Jesus himself laying down his life and sacrificing for the will of the Father and for you and for me. In his book, title fight. Craig Rochelle said this, gentlemen, God created you with the heart of a warrior. And until there's something you're willing to die for, you can't truly live. Until you tap into that divine cause, you're going to be bored, frustrated, and destructive. So what does your fight look like? What battle are you fighting? Are you fighting the right fights? Just yesterday, I read a blog from Dennis Rainey from Family Life. And I had to add it. Listen to what he said. As a husband and a father, you're the warrior again who has been charged with the duty of pushing back against the evil that seeks to prey on your wife, on your daughters, and your sons. And my favorite part is, is if you don't step up, who will? Who will fight? If you don't, so you may sit here and wonder, well, how do I fight? Where do I go? What do I do? I'm going to just give you a couple battle fronts. First, for your kids, media. Media, who's going to put up the boundaries and say, you shouldn't be watching that? Who's going to give them the, who's going to have the conversations about pornography? Who, who's going to talk to them about, but some of the books, even these young ladies are reading, who's going to do that? If you don't, if you don't, right? Their friends, another battlefront. Do you know them? Do do they know you? Do you know their parents? It's incumbent upon us as as leaders of our home that our friends' friends know that we're involved in their life and we're leading them. We don't need them to lead them. We'll lead them. Another one, how about purity? You having those conversations? You talking to them about where their thoughts are? You talking to them about maybe some of the images that they see? With their challenge and wrestling with? What about their faith? Have you had that conversation? Because listen, this is a fight because I'm here to tell you that the world is telling them something different. These are the fights we have to fight. Pick an area tonight, leave here with just one area and begin to have that conversation. Engage in the battle. And while fighting may get the crowds cheering, It's finishing that launches a legacy. Paul said, I have finished the race. See, too often as men, we start with great intention and we move on to something else when it doesn't keep our attention. Amen. Listen to what Oswald Chambers said from My Utmost First High. He said, the thing that really testifies for God and for the people of God in the long run is what? Steady Perseverance. Even when, I bracket and put, especially when, others cannot see the work. The key to finishing well is practicing perseverance every day through the difficult, challenging situations. Have you noticed that Paul talks a lot about perseverance? He does. He talks in Romans, he says, Listen, perseverance produces character. In Galatians, he said, Hey, let's don't get tired of doing good, for you'll reap a harvest at the right time. If you what? Don't give up. In Colossians, he says, He pleads, Oh, may we have endurance and patience. Why does Paul talk so much about it? perseverance? It's because historically, men have been great starters, but not the best finishers, right? Look at relationships. We come out of the gate like a stallion. We got everything going. We begin to lose interest and we find something else to do. Look at home projects. Ask some of the wives. He started that two years ago. He did that last month. He said that Lowe's doesn't carry the part. You know, I don't know what it is. We got to call Dale Stevens. I don't know. But we never finish these things, right? Why? But more often than not, we stop and find something else to do. When it gets difficult, when it gets hard and we meet resistance. Let, 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 me, let me tell you this. We have to remember as men, no one escapes pain, fear, or suffering. It's part of our human condition. It's part of our journey. It's part of our race that we're in. But when you run it with Jesus... When you invite him in supernaturally, he transforms that pain into wisdom, fear into courage, suffering into strength. If you don't give up, if you don't give up. Lori and I talk regularly to married couples about persevering through the hard times. Don't give up. And the same is true for fathering. The National Center for Fathering, listen, said 27 million children live in a household without the physical presence of a father. And they also said, if it were to be classified as a disease, fatherlessness would be an epidemic worthy of attention as a national emergency. 27 million kids. That's more than the top, the population of the top 10 cities in the United States. Though in Chicago, L.A., New York, all of them, 27 million. Our president said this. Let's admit to ourselves that there are a lot of men out there. They need to stop acting like boys. Who need to realize that responsibility does not end at conception. Who need to know that what makes you a man is not the ability what to have a child but the courage to raise a child come on right and and before you pat yourself on the back just being physically present in the home isn't enough Because if you're not serving something greater than yourself, you will position yourself in a place as a dictator demanding submission. Or on the other side of the spectrum, a ghost longing to be left alone. To truly father your kids, to to walk as the man that God has called you, then you have to model your journey after our Savior. And what did he say What are the last three words he said when he left this earth? It is finished. It is finished. We should carry that same passion. We know sometimes merely finishing isn't enough. Because Paul also said, I love this and. And. I have remained faithful. In Dallas, Texas, there's a museum that used to be known as the Texas School Book Depository. And every year, nearly 350,000 people visit just to go up to the sixth floor and peer out a window and feel the eeriness of an event that struck America in the heart on a sunny afternoon in November of 1963. It's the same room, the same window, that Lee Harvey Oswald would fire the shots that would assassinate then-President John F. Kennedy as his motorcade snaked through the Dallas streets below. In that room, on that sixth floor, there are memory books where people from all over the world come and they fill out written tributes to our fallen president. And some of them have written JFK, our greatest president. And others have lamented, oh, how we miss him. Someone has even, had even wrote, written in there, the greatest man who's ever lived outside of Jesus Christ himself. President Kennedy did some great things in his short tenure as our nation's commander-in-chief. But his legacy has a dark side as well. As time goes by, more and more stories are coming out about his recklessness, his impatience, and his philandering. Nigel Hamilton wrote a book called JFK, Reckless Youth. Let me tell you what he said about Mr. Kennedy. He said he had the brains, he had the courage, a shy charisma, good looks, idealism, and money. Yet, as always, there was something missing. Listen, a certain depth or seriousness of purpose. That once the voters or the women were won, there was a certain vacuousness, which means like a vacancy, an emptiness on his part. A failure to turn conquest into anything meaningful or profound. Gentlemen, fathers, how deep is the seriousness of your purpose? How deep? See, I believe that one of the reasons men get stuck in a struggle or they feel pulled in in hundreds of different directions is because there's a tension within them of competing purposes. And if our purpose is not to glorify and represent the personhood of Jesus Christ and to love and and lead our family, then we're going to feel incomplete, vacuous. We're going to feel incomplete. And you know what happens then? Then we begin to to struggle to make something happen. We try to make it happen. And when we get into the habit of trying to make stuff happen, we take shortcuts. We take shortcuts. And shortcuts inevitably lead to unfaithfulness. Speak with some guys and they say, Look, I hear what you're saying, dude. I do, and I appreciate it. I, I, I wanna, I, I just don't have time. I just don't have time for all. I mean, I. Henry David Thoreau said, It's not enough <laughs> to be busy. We have to ask ourselves, What are we busy about? What, what are we busy about? So, my question for you is, What are you busy about? What are you spending all your time doing? Faithfulness is one of the fruit of the Spirit, and rightly so, because I believe it is one of the premier raw materials that make up a man and certainly make a father. Too many legacies, guys. Too many families have been destroyed by the discovery of unknown phone numbers, of hidden bank accounts, and errant computer files. Last Saturday, my good friend Marvin Thomas in established footsteps hosted a husband seminar. It's about 50 plus guys there where everyone's eating breakfast, and, and they had a couple speakers, and the first speaker comes up, and he's like, Hey, how's everybody doing? Everyone's eating. it's great. Every head. He goes, All Right, let's get this thing underway. Hey, if you're keeping secrets from your spouse, stop. You know, we could have folded up our breakfast right then and say, gotcha, we're seeing you. this thing's over. Right? Because that's it right there, is it? Right? And then he goes on and he says, Oh, and also, it, if you have $100, that secret $100 folded up in your wallet that your wife doesn't know about, just in case something comes up and you need it, stop it. Stop it. It's a secret. I was going to, have an amnesty box here. If anyone has that $100. <laughs> if, if you just want $20, i will make sure I'll we'll get it. You know, it'll go to the right place. And don't worry, we'll, we'll just pray for you and we'll send you on your way. There's no condemnation here at the Street Life Church. You are forgiven. Listen, Kennedy may have captured America's heart. And he may have led our nation through one of its most tense times during the Cold War in the Cuban Missile Crisis. But he couldn't lead himself where it mattered most, in his heart, in his core. If we hope to remain faithful, if we hope to remain faithful, then we have to pay attention to those subtle areas areas in our life where unfaithfulness roams unchecked. And how do we do that? Let's follow Jesus' words. He said, if you're faithful in small things, if you're faithful in small things, you'll be faithful in big things. If you're unfaithful in small things, you'll be unfaithful in big things. Our final key, and the key for remaining faithful is starting small. Starting small. Small rather than stand on the stage and pronounce your loyalty with grandiose extravagance, I would never do that. Hey, if you say you're gonna be home by six for dinner, be home by six for dinner. If you say you're gonna take your kids to Bush Gardens this weekend, take your kids to Bush Gardens this weekend. And if you vowed in front of family and friends, to cling only to her. Then cling only to her. Amen. Eugene Peterson, the translator of the Message Bible. He wrote a book, I just love the title. It's called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I think that that's uh, pretty apropos. If we're looking to be faithful If we follow that advice and we start small with the little things, begin to be faithful in the little things, then then I have no doubt that when we finish our race and we stand there before the Lord, he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant. Can the worship team come on back up? So, what can we do? What can we do to hand off a legacy of love? What can we do to to build upon the investments of those who came before us? What do we do? We fight. We fight by finding and serving something greater than ourselves. What do we do? How do we build that? We finish. By practicing perseverance every day in the difficult times. And we remain faithful. By starting in the small things. And they accumulate. So when the big stuff does happen, and you're being tested and your character is on the line, you have a whole history of doing what you said you were going to do. Amen? If you're here tonight and maybe, maybe you, you had people before you who loved the Lord and they built a strong foundation for you to walk on. And it was in an atmosphere of love and acceptance and encouragement And today you you owe a lot of your happiness and your joy to what they did before you. If, If that's you tonight, if those people, if they're still with us and they're not here tonight, then call them when you leave here and you tell them thank you. You tell them thank you. See, because they made choices that you don't even know about. Call them and say thank you. If they're here tonight, then put your arms around their neck and hug them. Shake their hand. Look them in the eye and tell them thank you. If they're no longer with us, then as we go into worship, you, you open your heart to heaven and you lift up a prayer of appreciation, and then you walk and build upon their work. Celebrate them tonight. But if you're here, and maybe you haven't lived the life that we've talked about, maybe you haven't fought the way you should have fought. Maybe, maybe you haven't finished. Maybe you you feel like tonight of checking out or giving up. Maybe before you came, you thought about walking out. Maybe there's areas in your life where you haven't been real faithful. Then tonight, during worship, you can make that right with a simple heart that says, Lord, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And I wanna be that guy that he's talking about that at the end of my life that I'm handing off a baton that was better than what I than what I was given i don't want there to be regrets don't leave here carrying that part of that because look what you leave with is what you're going to pass on don't make that mistake tonight And lastly, if you're here, and maybe you didn't have a father or a father figure who fought for you. Maybe, maybe you were on the receiving end of selfishness from a man or men. And for that, I want to say I'm sorry. But you don't have to leave here tonight carrying the regret and the pain anymore that the Holy Spirit, Jesus, is here and he wants to restore to you fullness of life. He doesn't want you passing on the pain. He doesn't want you passing on the bitterness or the regret. You can begin today to walk in the newness of what God offers, that you can leave it here tonight and you can begin with each step today to build a legacy that you can be proud of and your kids and the next generation can build upon. Stand up with me, please. As we enter worship, wherever you fall on that, let your heart cry out to God. In the back, there are people praying. If during worship, you want to make that decision tonight that I'm going to walk out of here different on each side? Go have them pray for you, pray with you. And as we go into worship, most of all, open your heart with a song that says, Happy Father's Day. That's worship.